Welcome to the Drip Marketing Podcast. My name is Puya. Today we're going to be talking about headless CMS options to improve your SEO. And we're lucky to be talking to our software engineer here who is smiling at me. His name is Vahid. He is, uh, he's been with us for a year. Yeah. yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Vahid. Well, thank you for having me, Puya. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about uh, all that we are going to talk about today. But yeah, I think I've been with you guys for like about a year now working on multiple projects that uh, we planned and the major one being the e-commerce system that we are uh, going to talk further about today. Excellent. You know, Vahid, I'm still confused. I will never be able to answer what is a headless CMS. (laughs) Is it what is a headless CMS or what is it? What is, what is a headless CMS? Can you please explain? Sure. Yeah, I know like you like that word a lot. I, we both have heads. Um, but why is it better for websites? No heads sure. for websites. Yeah, before we even go there, let's see uh, the history of how we reached that something as headless, right? It's more of a buzzword, which only means that you would not have a UI for your systems. So yeah, to, in order to understand um, why or where we are today with headless CMS and why it's called that. We need to understand a little bit of history of you know how the architecture and systems were built back in the day. So traditionally we have something called as a monolithic architecture where you know you have your your backend, your API that serves through the database and your UI built into one package and you would deploy this package on a server and it would serve all the requests that it's coming through and give you all the responses, right? And as technology grew, as the internet grew, what happened was this was really restricted, right? Because if you want to scale your database, uh, if you want to scale your website, what you had to do is, you know, buy another server, put the exact same thing on that server, put and, you know, just keep continuing that to serve all this request, and it really got complicated, right? It was not scalable. After that, what we had was the microservices architecture where you would have your APIs broken down into smaller systems. For example, we create an API for something that would serve the order. You create an API to serve the uh, user information. You create an API for your car. And what you do is you get all this microservices deployed on multiple systems, put a load balancer or something called as an API gateway that would get the request and so these requests accordingly. And this made all the systems that we have scale further, right? From this, that's why I was saying that headless is more of a buzzword. What it actually does is it only gives you the API, the data that you want, and it allows you the, gives you the freedom to create a, your UI as you want for your, for your data source. I hope that was clear. Okay, no. No, okay. it wasn't clear, sure. but hey, I mean, but I, I assume everyone listening in is, is not going to, but let's simplify it even more, sure. okay, with examples. So for example, we're working on a website right now with 2,000 products, right. and we were on a WooCommerce platform. Yeah. Tell me how that was working in WooCommerce first. Okay. Yeah, if you really want to talk about WordPress, I have a personal opinion about WordPress is that I don't like it. Nothing against WordPress, but the reason why I don't like it is because it's more of a hack over something that was only supposed to be a blog site, right? If you look at the data models of WordPress, or if you look at how the things are structured in WordPress, it is not scalable if you want your website to grow in the future, right? 
If you're starting out, if you have a few products, that's okay. You can go ahead with WordPress. It's easy to set up, it's easy to manage, right? With WooCommerce as well. But as soon as you start integrating stuff that is difficult or technically uh, complicated. Let's give an example, actually. Sure. Um, one example for our WooCommerce website was that we needed to introduce vendors. Right. And each vendor would have a store. That is no longer the case. Uh, we're, we're not having vendors anymore. But with vendors, we ended up having, we used Dokon. Right, yeah. And that's also another plugin which destroyed our indexation because each vendor would have a product, then a store, and that store was indexed. And it was a whole different section on the website with hundreds of products for that store, which was indexed, and also uh, on the website, which, the, you know, what Google saw and what people saw. So we have duplicate content issues, and we have an indexation issue with thousands and thousands of variations of different products, but they're really one product. Right. Right? And that's also a WordPress issue because it doesn't come out of the box with a perfectly optimized website. Exactly, and one of the reasons why we decided to move away from WordPress and uh, Dokkan and all the plugins, yeah. and all the plugins, first, it's really hard to you know maintain all those plugins to begin with. There is a lot of uh, bloat that comes with all those plugins. the The problem that we had with Dokkan was we were trying to implement their idea of what a multi vendor system should look like into our idea of what we wanted, right? And that, that is where all the uh, complications come in, is that when you want to change it, it is not as easy to change as compared to something that you build in-house, right? Because you yeah. have no control on how it was uh, structured, you have no control on you know, what you would modify and, and what results you would get. Again, it works for a very small uh, use case, but as soon as you start thinking bigger and uh, want to change it according to what you want, that's where it gets complicated. Yes, our e-commerce website is, is going to be growing rapidly, and not in terms of traffic so far, it's a brand new website, but we have thousands and thousands of products we want to introduce into this database. Right. And we want to introduce products that are compatible with each other. And now we're talking different categories of products which are compatible with each other. How would that fare with WooCommerce and Dokkan and WordPress versus a headless CMS? That's a really interesting question and I shouldn't be using interesting, I should use something uh, a lot more specific. Yeah. I think, um, so the way WordPress works, or to be honest, I really have, I don't have a lot of information on how the structure works, but I would assume that it's an API based system where you request for something and you know a data would come back and then you would render it uh, and show the results to the user. But the problem with that is, or not a problem, a better way to do that, according to me, was using GraphQL versus the REST API that everyone else uses, right? Because to give you an example, Facebook's API is based on something called as the graph-based API, where you connect things. I should be giving you a better example. For example, you know me through work, right? But this work node would also include other people that are involved in, the, in the, the same kind of work, and it's easier to go through, traverse, and find that relationship versus what happens in the API, uh, REST API-based um, 
solution is you have to query each and every node to go to that result. I don't know if I'm making this complicated. So we're, let's go back to let's go back to you knowing me in this workplace. Right. We've got you know developers, we've got designers, we've got project managers, we've got people working all over the world. Let's bring it back to you were saying. Let's compare it with us as people, and right. you were going to. How, how will that work? Like, just consider all the people that work with us. I'll give you two examples. One is we both know each other through a company. Yep. So you would look up that company. You get information about that company who works at the, at at that workplace, right? And then what you would get back is names of people who work there. What are you going to do next? Is you're going to query each and every name to get information about each of those employees, right? You would not be like, oh, I, I there are like ten people working here. Give me information on those ten people in one request. That's one way to do it, and that's the way we are doing right now. But the other way is I'm going to make 10 requests to get all this data back of 10 different employees. That's the REST API based logic. So instead of making 10 network calls, what you're doing in GraphQL is you're making one request that goes back to that node, gets all the information that you want, and gives you that data back. Okay. Let me give you an example on an e-commerce website then. Sure. Let's switch back to real life examples. Yeah. So would you say that I am looking for black t-shirts on a website and on that category page, you're going to have all sorts of t-shirts, but let's say this, this category is built properly and if I request or if I, let's say I search for black t-shirts from a brand. Say guess, okay? Yeah. Guess black t-shirts. And it shows up on Google. I click. Now on that page, all the requests have to be made, right? When it loads. Right. Are you saying with head a headless CMS, <laughs> the buzzword headless <laughs> CMS, only black t-shirts are being requested and that's gonna load instantly, versus let's say WordPress or WooCommerce or Dokkan or whatever. Everything would be requested at once. You have to see all the t-shirts, it has to load everything, all the filters, all the colors, all the sizes. You almost got there, but there are a few yeah. things that I want to correct. Headless CMS is a package. What, what's under headless CMS, how the requests are made, is using GraphQL. So in GraphQL, yes, what would happen is when you go on black t-shirts on a, on a website, you would only get black t-shirts back, right? Because you have that ability to query a node based on what you want versus what happens in WordPress or WooCommerce is it will look up for black t-shirts, then it would filter out, it, it would look up for t-shirts and then it would filter out the black t-shirts and that's the data that it gets. So it makes multiple network calls to get you the data versus what happens in GraphQL under Headless CMS, it only makes one network call. The less network calls that you make, the faster your website gets. But it also, there's a catch though, it also depends on, you know, what kind of data you're querying and how many levels of data that you're, you're requesting for. Mm -hmm. But it is faster than REST API. Okay, so tell me this, again, please excuse my sure. ignorance. Is it different when somebody, let's say that black t-shirt, guess black t-shirts, is indexed, that is set to index, and by the way, a lot of websites don't set that category to index, big mistake. Mm -hmm. Let's say that's indexed, okay, guess black t-shirts. And 
I look for that. And it, it, the category shows up on top. I, I know where it is. I want to click on it. It Will it load differently if I click on that search results versus if I look for it on the website, like guess black t-shirts on the website versus how it would load when I search for it and it's already indexed? Do you mean under the... Um, under Google. Under headless CMS? Correct, headless okay. CMS. Yeah, so... Well, we can make both examples. Let's just say uh, what would happen in, with, with WordPress, which you've already explained. Yeah. But I, I'm just trying to wrap my head around, would it load the same way if I click on it from search versus if I search for it on the website? Sure. I'm sorry, but I'm going to introduce more technical stuff here. <laughs> so you better understand like what's happening in the background, right? So under headless CMS, before you, I even answer your question, we are using something else for the front end. As you remember, headless CMS is only something that gives you data back and connects your backend to an API. And you, as, you, uh, as we are building a UI, we are building this UI in Next.js. Again, we might be the first one in our industry to do that, to jump on Next.js and uh, use the, that CDN first uh, framework. But the way it works is it gives you options to render something on your server. That is, when you make a request, you have this page rendered on your server and it serves you that page directly from the server. Versus, there are other ways of how pages load, right? Like one is you would call a page and there would be a static page that no data is moving, for example, like uh, about page or our story page or you know a, a static data that never changes it's just text and some images and the third one is something called as dynamic pages where you would have some content on the page but you would have to make a request to the api to get the information back and to show it to the user i don't know if you have noticed but sometimes when you go on some pages you would see all those curly brackets that with some variable name and then the data would load into those curly brackets. That's an example of uh, dynamic pages. Coming back to your question of how it will load, what we are doing on Next.js is we are pre-rendering the product pages, the home page, and few category pages on our server at build time. What I mean by build time is when we build the project, all these requests are already made, the HTML is created, and we serve that HTML from CDNs. So when you click on a link from Google, it would just serve the HTML page as a stack page with all the information there, which is better for SEO because you have your meta tags, you have all the information that you need. Versus when you search for something, it would do the same. It would just request, it would just search for that page and then serve it to you. So there's no difference in how it's served versus this is in headless CMS versus what happens in WordPress is when you search for something, it would make a search call, then it would get the data for that product and then serve it to you. So it has to do that work of getting the data when you search for something versus in our solution right now, that work is already done. It just serves you the page from I the see. server. Okay, that, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. So, so what you're saying is, no matter what happens with WooCommerce and WordPress, you're constantly making that request. Yeah. Is there a way to hack it? Yeah, I'm sure there are ways to do it. 
I just didn't want to invest a lot of time in WordPress because of my personal opinion of uh, not liking WordPress and we really had to get started. There are ways to improve WordPress. It's not that bad. You know, you could uh, optimize all the pages, you can uh, do critical CSS and also I think they should have a solution now or, or a plugin famously to load uh, you know, static pages or how Next.js works. I'm sure might be solutions. I just didn't think it was right. Yeah. They're hacks because, uh, yes, I know about this and I, I'm very well aware of WooCommerce and WordPress not indexing critical categories and filters. Right. Because you'll have those categories set to no index as a default. And <laughs> I, I would assume 90 plus percent of small businesses would know that you, know, you shouldn't do that. And that was, that was one of the biggest problems we were having. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Our devs would just move systems from like staging to production. And uh, if we forget to uncheck that or check the no index filter, it would just no index all the pages and then you would be what's happening here? <laughs> that, that was an option. That, that That's correct. As you're all aware. Now, he's more on the advanced side, everybody. He is, <laughs> I know a lot of people listening in would probably be working in WordPress. Right. Uh, I'll be honest with you, probably 90 plus percent yeah. will be working in WordPress. I am blessed to say that we do have the resources to get off of WordPress and not a lot of people do. And, and that doesn't mean you're not going to rank or that doesn't mean you're not going to do well. We just want to go above and beyond in our industry, above and beyond. Even in our industry, people using Drupal and Magento and WordPress, they're not even optimizing those websites. Right. But we're just stepping away from that and saying, what can we do even better than using WordPress or a, a typical CMS. Do you know anything about Shopify? Would Shopify be similar to WooCommerce or BigCommerce? Do you know about those websites? I like or Shopify. those platforms? Yeah, I do. Shopify has a solution for headless CMS as well. So if you want Shopify to be your backend on which you want to build your UI, they're also getting into the game. They have really good headless <laughs> solution that you could use. I hate to use that word now. That's... But yeah. Hey, only... I wish it was headful. <laughs> if or it was not. headful, you would have the UI, right? It's, it just it's sounds fine. odd. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. So they do have a solution, but the only problem, not even a problem, the only reason why we didn't use Shopify's uh, CMS or the data store was because you have to pay for Shopify versus what we're using is in-house and we don't have to pay for it, we can build on top of it. It's an open source solution. So yeah, I really improved over the last few years, right? They have, they're just, for what we would do, it would be way more expensive. Than, yeah. I mean, I, I guess if we didn't have the expertise, yeah. we would probably go with, maybe go with Shopify. I just want more control and I like, that's why I like WordPress and WooCommerce. Then I ran into all these issues and speed and plugin. Can you imagine having 30 plugins, updating them regularly, running into bugs all the time? Okay, I'm just going to leave that. <laughs> Let's forget about that because everyone listening in would, have, would know these issues. Let me ask you this. You've mentioned that you know Core Web Vitals was a thing with me. Like, I, it's very important with me. It's not the most important factor with SEO, but I want to take it seriously. And we've also spoken about when a developer pushes you know, our changes to go in production, what they do is they forget to uncheck that box so that you know, our whole website doesn't, does not index. <laughs> we have, we've had that issue and we've used Content King 
which works very well and it immediately tells us if there's something wrong with a, a section of the website, the whole website, a category, products, whatever. Now, you're working on a system, and tell me if this is with the headless <laughs> game, Okay. but you're working on a system where if a mistake happens, the developers cannot push these changes live, which is kind of like software, right? True, true. So yeah, I'll, I can t tell you more about that. The framework that we're using to build the UI is Next.js, but you need to deploy this somewhere else, right? Like from where you would serve it. So we have two options here. One is Versal, which Next.js belongs to, it's their project. And the other one is Netlify. They handle all the deployment for us. What we have to do is connect source code uh, management system to them, for example, like GitHub, that which we are using. The good thing about Netlify, first of all, is they have their own plugins, not like WordPress plugins, but kind of plugins that control your optimization task, your no 404 links, or if something changes, and you could use these plugins, integrate that with GitHub, so what happens is when a developer makes changes, they have to push the change to GitHub and GitHub would run all these tasks for us where it would check like, oh, it has the performance uh, decreased or if a page is missing or, you know, if they have unchecked something that we made mandatory and then it would give you a status of like, hey, these are these, the tests that I performed, these passed and these failed. Because it was critical, I will not let you merge the code into the main branch. And that's where it stops. So you have to go back in, you have to change stuff, push that change to GitHub, it will run the test, see if everything's okay, and then you merge it to the main or the develop branch. And as soon as you merge your changes to develop branch, it gets deployed on Netlify. And you also get a preview of what changes were, were made. So yeah, it's that's what we have in place right now. So there's very little chance for developers to screw things up. <laughs> you know, the SEOs listening in, the yeah. business owners listening in, these, you know, I, I call them digital assets, people <laughs> who have digital assets listening in. I'm telling you, this is a huge problem. It's just the, these changes, especially when the websites are large and you only have a small team managing these websites, you know, we, we expect the developers, and it's not always their fault, I don't want to blame them for everything. We expect them to know everything. And you have two developers, three developers working on a project, they launch, and then you have your content team working on the, on the blog, on the live website. And even though you have your rules, somebody doesn't follow the rules and changes get published yeah. without what you just said. And then a lot of work gets deleted so you have to backtrack and look at your backups it's always been a problem it's always been a problem we've always had this issue and i've heard from others they've also had this issue so that i just wanted to make sure everybody understood again how amazingly blessed we are because i don't think most websites are going to do this yeah it's more of a developer's workflow than what goes on the website so if you have all these checks and balances in place you shouldn't be able to uh, make a lot of mistakes, but yeah, it's human nature to make mistakes. Right? Yes. So. Would you say only software engineers do it this way versus, you know, website developers and designers? I'm not 
really sure what their workflow is, but developers do have GitHub. But if you have something like GitHub on these different platforms, and if people are source uh, controlling it, they shouldn't be able to make all these problems. But also, what we see happening in the developer world is rapidly changing. New stuff come up every other day. And yeah, it's more optimized for us than anyone else out there. Okay, now let's jump forward a little bit. You've picked Salier. Yeah. Why did you pick Salier versus all the other options, if there are many options? Yeah. So when we started talking about uh, moving away from WordPress, I was actually looking for the options that we could use. Salier was not my first option. The very first option was Reaction Commerce, which is also an uh, headless CMS open source solution which uses, I don't remember, but I think they, they are based on Node.js and uh, the JavaScript environment. And I tried to run it locally to see how it works. They're huge. They're bigger than Sailor, to be, to be honest, but they had a lot of problem running on my, on my system. Even the UI, I was not able to, I was able to pull it up, you know, use it one day. And the next day, if I updated, you know, it would just crash. Not saying that they are bad. I was just disappointed. I also had my small MacBook back then, so it didn't right. quite work. So I was looking for what's the second best option. And I came across Sailor. I saw that they have like huge community. Uh, you know, if you have any questions, if you get stuck, they have an active Twitter handle. I don't know if you um, have ever tweeted or Twitter. I have tweeted them. And I forgot the owner, owner's name or the person who, who started this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and he does reply every single time. Yeah, they're really active. Even if you have technical problems, you just go chat in Spectrum. That's for GitHub uh, chat room. And you would get, get the answers. And I'm not saying that it's a perfect solution, but it has everything that you need. Plus, they are also coming up with a new version that is version 3 uh, pretty soon. They're working on it. So there's active development on that project right now. The reason why I liked it is because it was based on Django. It's a Python framework that's tested and used for uh, a long time now, a long time. It's based on Django 3, that's the new, newest version. And uh, a lot of product, it's production tested. So a lot of applications that are live right now work on Django and it's easier. Um, I like Django because it's uh, configuration over, I forgot the name, but uh, you don't have to do everything. Uh, it takes care of uh, everything for you and then we had the GraphQL API. There's only one problem with Sailor though that we still are trying to figure out and that's the UI. The storefront source code that comes with Sailor is still under development. They explicitly mentioned that, that if you want to use it for production, you have to change it and that's what we're doing. So we are trying to build that, build upon that and uh, that would be the only problem with Sailor. Is that why the launch date is gone? Yeah. <laughs> taking forever because you're doing you're kind of doing their work yeah. a little bit yeah which is customized for us yeah but their backend system is is really good it's easy to modify and easy to extend as well okay now tell me this and this is my final question for wordpress we know that there are lots of plugins and wordpress updates pretty regularly maybe once or twice a year right uh, maybe once a year i'm not 100 sure but plugins update often and obviously you have many, many plugins. And when you update one plugin, and if you, especially you have a larger website, it could literally break the whole website. How do updates work on Sailor if there is an update? Yeah. 
I mean, if you build something and you need to, you update the code yourself, obviously, because with Sailor, there isn't a whole plugin option. You, you technically, you're building your whole system from the ground up. But would Sailor have updates themselves? And when they do update, how would that affect us? Sure. That's a really good question. And that's something uh, that we need to discuss more about. Sailor would have updates in the future because it's being actively worked upon, right? And what we deploy in production would eventually need to be updated with what comes out. But it is not as compulsory as in WordPress because there might be a security issue and everything. But even upgrading Sailor from one version to another is easier. All you need to do is pull in the code that they release under you know whatever the tag they have released it i think the latest one is going to be three point something and then you can check what code has been changed before you merge that changes right and they do come with the change lock like hey this is all that's going to change and this is what is going to break your changes so it's the standard uh, change log that you don't see with plugins that come in wordpress right they would tell you what changed and what to look out for that might break your systems. So even before going live, and if we update failure, we can test all these changes, see if any of the unit tests that we have or the integration tests that we have breaks. If it breaks, then fix it, and then update the live website. I, I, I cannot see any reason why no one would want to or anyone would want to choose WordPress now after you, what you've explained, it's clear for me now. Uh -huh. Actually, it's much more clear than when you explained it before because I've asked these questions. And right. You, so yeah, many, many times. Many times. <laughs> and, and believe it or not, I've asked them, I don't know, five times. <laughs> and I still I just look at him and it didn't make sense to me. But now it makes sense with the requests and how it's, how it's loading, with the APIs, and also how it's updated. I didn't know that, by uh -huh. the way. I did not know that when they update something, they tell you what they've updated. They also tell you what might break. Yeah, these change logs come with, you know, whatever GitHub tags they release. So you should be able to pull that up and see what's changing. Wow. Well, it's a lot more clearer for me. I'm serious, actually. It's a lot more clearer for me. And I hope it's clear for everyone who listened. And of course, if you have any questions, please put that in the comment section and I think we're going to get the heat to answer them. Sure, yeah. I mean, this is our first podcast, and we're going to do this regularly, and, and the topics are going to be more advanced than your typical optimize your title tags, yeah. you know, optimize your meta tags, and make sure you write content. It's not us. We're trying to do, we're trying to speak about topics that are a little bit more nuanced than, than your typical SEO topics. Absolutely. If you have any questions, Please leave them in the comments below. That's it for us. Uh, you guys have a great day. And until next time, catch you all on the next podcast. Thanks, Puyo. Take care, everybody.